our Bibles, if you brought them with you today, we've been, um, you know, focusing on getting in our physical Bibles more. And if you brought them, great. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles back on the racks next to the giving boxes. You can grab one of those to borrow if you'd like. Uh, if you don't have one, please take one. It's, it's our gift to you. We just want you to have the Word of God in your hands. Obviously, we have the mobile devices and stuff, but this is a little different. We want to just have the Bible with us today. Um, we're going to read together in Ruth. So prepare in the Old Testament here. Get into Ruth, and we're going to read it together, and we're going to have somebody read it on the screen with us. So, amen. Let's watch the video. Hello, everyone. My name is Mitchell Rice. I'm a volunteer here at the chapel, and I attend the Sandusky campus. Today, we will be reading from Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. C.S. Lewis, um, great theologian and writer, was going through one of the deepest losses in his life, a loss that none of us want to have to face, but sadly many probably even in this room have been there, the loss of his own spouse, his wife Joy, who truly was the, the joy of his life, had passed away, and as he was wrestling through his own feelings of all that he was facing, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And in that book, this is what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, Meanwhile, where is God? When you are happy, 
so happy that you have no sense of needing him, if you turn to him then with praise, you will be open, uh, welcomed with open arms. But he writes, but go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. That's pretty real, isn't it? I remember uh, several years ago being here at the Norwalk campus, and there was a guy that was going through leukemia, and we had grown close. In fact, even though I had to visit him at the hospital and make drives up to Cleveland, I looked forward to that time with him. And we, we would pray, and, and man, things looked like things were going in the right direction. And we thought, wow, God's going to answer our prayers. God is going to preserve his life. God is going to extend his days. And then everything just started to go south again. And we lost him. And man, when I, when I think about what C.S. Lewis felt and what he wrote in those moments... My heart was resonating with that. Where are you, God? It feels like you've just slammed the door and deadbolted everything shut. And I bet if we were honest, some of you have been in those kinds of places before. As we continue in this series in the book of Ruth, today we come to the second half of chapter 1. And we're going to enter into the grief of Naomi. She had lost her husband, and then both of her sons had been killed and died. And now she's left trying to care for her two daughters-in-law and feeling like they've got to just relocate yet again and move back to their hometown, and she's feeling and facing all of this. And some of the things that, that Naomi said in that moment sound like the feelings that C.S. Lewis had and that many times you and I do. This is what Naomi says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 13. She said, Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself, she says, has raised his fist against me. She was saying, It feels like God's like this. She goes on, Don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead, call me Mara. Now, the, the name Naomi in Hebrew means sweetness. And here she's saying, what I'm going through, what God is putting me through, deserves a name change. Don't call me sweet. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because that's where I'm at. She goes on in verse 21. I went away, that is, I went away from Jerusalem and from uh, Bethlehem, her hometown, I went away full. She says, but the Lord has brought me home empty. She says, why call me Naomi? When the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised that's included in the Bible, aren't you? Those are strong Words, words that probably 
over the course of our life, if you grew up in church, maybe you were even taught, you don't say those kinds of words. You don't, you don't lash out at God. That's disrespectful. Why would you point the finger and blame God? And we might look at Naomi and go, man, she is, she's off the rails. She's losing her faith. But what if I told you that maybe those very comments are a sign of just how deep and real her faith is? See, what Naomi is doing in these, in these verses is what we call lament. Lament is it's, it's one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us when we're going through the most difficult of times, if we are willing to go there. And so over the course of our time, I want us to talk about three different questions. Number one, well, what is lament? Number two, why should I lament to God? And thirdly, this seems so strange to ask, how can my lament actually help other people? So let's talk about the first question, what is lament? I love what Mark Vrogop says here. He says, lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. He says, lament is how we bring our sorrow to God, which is what Naomi was doing. Another way we might put that is, lament is living in between the messy tension of life between our trust and our troubles, when both are a reality. Lamenting is what we do when we trust God, and yet our life is filled with trouble, and we don't know what to do with it, so we take it to God. That's what lament really is. And it involves both. It involves the realness of the trouble that we're facing, but it also involves the dedicated faith of trusting God no matter what. You know, there's a whole category of psalms. In fact, 42 of all the psalms that were written are considered what we would call lament psalms. And, and we find David and a couple other authors going to God in a very real way with everything that they're facing, much like Naomi was venting both to God and to those that were around her. And so I want to take a few moments to look at Psalm 77 because it's a powerful picture of what lament is and what God is inviting us into. Look at what the psalmist cries out in Psalm 77, beginning in verse 1. He says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. He was getting no response. He's like, I'm not just praying. I'm yelling. I'm shouting. And he goes on. He says, when I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted high towards heaven. But my soul was not comforted. Those are honest words. You know, the pastor tells me, well, God's there. All you got to do is ask, seek, knock, find. And he'll open the door and he'll be there. But what, what about when he's not? What about when it feels like the door isn't open, the door is shut? That's where the psalmist finds himself. In verse 3, he says, I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed, longing for his help. 
That's lament. And some of you have been there. You've lost a spouse. You've lost a child. You got the cancer diagnosis. You found out your kid was on drugs. Suicides invaded your family. And where is God? That's lament. But remember, lament is that place that we live in, in the midst of the messy tension between both our troubles, but also our trust. And what you see in the lament psalms is this pattern that plays itself out time and time again, where the psalmist cries out to God, the psalmist vents his anger and frustration or his weariness, but then at some moment in the psalm, the, the, the psalmist begins to remember who God really is. And that's what happens in Psalm 77. Jump down to verse 11. He says, But then I recall all that you have done. O Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds from long ago. He says, But then I recalled. I remembered. I stopped. I paused. I took a moment to step up. To, to, to take my focus off of just my troubles and put my focus on God and look at God's track record, his history with me. And he had, this, this psalmist had lived enough life with God to know that God was trustworthy still. Just last week, I was uh, visiting a couple and I shared communion with them because they haven't been able to come to church. The wife has a brain tumor that's inoperable. She's been under treatments. The treatments aren't working. I just found out a, a, a two days ago that she went back into the hospital because she was having seizures. As I sat there sharing communion with this couple, and they were telling me about everything they've been going through and how this is just, I mean, they're, they're in their early 60s. They've been, had f been full of health no issues their entire life. And I mean, this has just sideswiped them. And she has a brain tumor, and he had just had prostate surgery. And then in the course of the conversation, they said, but you know, God's been faithful. I said, tell me more. And they started to recall Remember, they look back. And even though they are facing so much, they were hanging on, trusting God in the midst of their troubles. That's what it means to lament. That we admit openly the troubles, but we confess our faith and trust in God at the same time and hold on to him. The psalmist goes on in verse 12, he says, those remembrances, those things that I'm looking back on, your faithfulness, he says, I, they're constantly in my thoughts and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Living in the midst of our troubles and our trust. That's what lament is. But that leads us to a second question. Why should we lament to God? And I think there's a few different reasons. Number one is because God wants us to be real with him. 
You know, our, our third core value here at the chapel is to be authentic, that we are real people in process. We don't want you to have to be fake at church. We don't want you to put on a facade with one another. People need real people, people that they trust that they can be open and honest with. You know what it feels like to, to just come home to like your spouse or your close family or to have a coffee with that close, close friend that you can just be completely you with, that you can be like, no, today's been hell. In fact, you know what? This whole month has been horrible. And the freedom that comes with having somebody that you trust that much that you can be there. See, that's how much God loves you. That's how much God wants you to trust him. To be that open, to be that authentic. That's why we should lament to God. Because the, the danger is if we start, if we in the midst of our troubles start turning away from God, which is often what happens, we get mad at God. Well, yeah, he's dead bolted. So guess what? I'm on to the next house. I'm going to go find something else, someone else that will work. But we never do, do we? Because in those moments, there's only one that you can go to. And God is inviting us to be real with him, to be authentic with him, to come to him with all that we are feeling and facing. That's why we should lament. He's inviting it. And it's in those moments when we turn to him in the midst of the most difficult times that we can finally start to see him at work, or perhaps we can begin to remember what he's done in the past. Somebody has said, uh, don't forget what God has revealed to you in the light when you're in the midst of the darkness. Hold on. And, and, and the, here's the thing. If we're going to lament to God and we're going to live in between the troubles and the trust, that means we've developed the trust and get... We'll never develop that trust just on Sundays. Real faith, real faith, like that kind of faith that you admire in people that are going through such hardships, and yet they're like, but you know what? God's with me, and I'm, we're, we're moving forward. And, you, and inside, you're like, how can that be? How can you do that? If, if we want that kind of faith, it's going to be more than Sunday church attendance. It's going to be Diving into the truth of God's word on a regular basis. It's going to be living in community with other people in a small group or in classes where we're sharing life with each other and we're helping each other grow and develop our faith so that even when those moments when we don't have faith, we know somebody who we can hold on to their faith when we don't even have it for ourselves. That's why we should lament to be real, to be authentic with God because he invites it. I love how authentic Naomi is with God. Look, look again at what she said. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I mean, man, she's not acting very Christian. Like, you don't say those things to God. And yes, she did. And they're, they're, guys, they're included in God's word to you and me. I think to give us permission to let it out. <laughs> He's a big God. He can take it. But what's interesting, remember, we said that 
Lament is living in the messy tension between our troubles and our trust. And we miss this sometimes in the English language. Because when, when Naomi says to God and refers to him as the Almighty, even though she's saying he's caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me, the word that is translated there, Almighty, is the word that she specifically used, and it's the Hebrew word Shaddai. Bible commentator W.F. Albright says Shaddai relates to mountain in the qualitative sense of possessing durability, solidity, and trustworthiness. This is what I love. In the midst of her pain, her anguish, her anger, her loss, her grief, she calls out to God, she points the finger at God, but she has not let go of who that God is. In her very lament, she is enunciating again her faith and trust in who God is, Shaddai. David Atkinson, in his commentary on the book of Ruth, says it this way. He says, it's as though Naomi is saying, you can see the bitterness I have experienced, the famine, the bereavements, the questioning, the apparent hopelessness, but I know God as Shaddai. And I can leave the explanation and even the responsibility for this bitterness with him. Wow. Did you catch that? He says it's like she was saying, I can leave both the explanation and the reason for my bitterness with God. She trusted God enough to say, God, I hate this. I don't get this. But you are still the mountain, the rock, the trustworthy one. And even though I don't understand it, and there is no explanation, I'll leave the explaining to you, and I'll trust you still. That's lament. That's the kind of relationship that God is inviting you and me into. To be that real but to at the same time have that much confidence and hope living between our troubles and our trust. And that leads to the third question that it, it seems weird even to ask this. How can our lament help other people? I think about that in Naomi's life. Here she was, lost her husband, lost both of her sons. She's got these two younger daughter-in-laws who have lost their husbands. And here she is venting, lamenting right in front of them. Now, these were Moabite women that came from an idolatrous background. It would have been so easy for them to be like, yeah, some, some good job Naomi's God does. Look at us now. And if I were Naomi, I'd be thinking this. I'd be thinking, oh, I better be careful about what I say. Like, I don't want to give them the wrong impression about my God. Right? Do you ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever, like, tried to, felt like you had to protect God's reputation in front of somebody else? Be like, well, you know, but I know he's working things out. I have. I've, 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 there have been moments when I've done that with my own kids. Like, well, I, you know, I want to keep, like, their picture of God. 
But what if the picture that God wants us to have of him is that he's a God that we can be that real and honest and vulnerable with? That we can lament to? What if that might teach our kids something that some just pretty Bible story might not teach? I think that might, might be the very thing that, that moved Ruth into a place of faith. Naomi is just venting and, and lamenting and pointing the finger at God and telling God what he's done, and yet she keeps going to God and saying these things about her God, her Shaddai. And that's what's so beautiful about Ruth's response. Now, or- Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, she decides to go back to Moab. But Ruth, she says, no, I'm staying with you. I'm staying with you, Naomi. And look at, look at, look at what she says. It says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people, the Israelite nation, the Jewish nation, the people that worship Jehovah God, El Shaddai, your people will become my people, and look at this, your God will be my God. I think there's something that Ruth witnessed in Naomi's lament that made her attracted to her God, that made her go, you know what, if, if she can be that real, if she can let her heart out like that, and yet she keeps going to that God and she won't turn away from him, maybe that's the God that I should be worshiping and giving my life to as well. You see, guys, people don't need somebody that is a fake Christian that is just all the time saying, oh, but praise the Lord. Sometimes they need somebody that says, where is the Lord? But I haven't given up on him yet. I can't. He won't let me. I don't have anybody else to turn to. His, he's proven himself far too many times so that no matter what trouble I'm facing, I'm still going to trust him. That's, you guys, that is what people need. They need to see us lament. And Jesus welcomes us to cry out to him. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. And when you came in, hopefully you grabbed one of the little communion cups. And if you didn't, uh, wave your hand. Somebody will bring it by, or you can run back to the table and get one. And they're kind of hard to use. There's a thin filter that's clear that you'll pull back, and that will bring you to the wafer. And then the second uh, layer, it's like a foil layer, will take you to the juice. And I'm not going to have you take your communion right now. You can get it ready. I hear you doing that already. (laughs) But we're going to listen to a song. We're going to sing a song. by a band called Gunger, and it's called You Make Beautiful Things. I was thinking about Jesus as he was getting ready to go to the cross. He was going to give his life away. He was going to suffer, be crucified. 
experience an excruciating death. Jesus was facing his troubles, his greatest trouble. And the Bible even says that as Jesus was getting ready for this to happen, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was face down and he was grieving and he was overwhelmed. In fact, it says he was overwhelmed to the point of death. Like he was about to die, but he was dying because of the death that he was going to die. And Jesus, in, in that moment, he cries out to God. He laments. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup, this cup of wrath and suffering, let the cross, is what he was saying, let the cross pass from me. Jesus was saying, I don't want this. I don't want to have to go through this. He was facing his trouble. But then he said, Lord, not my will, yet yours be done. And the book of Philippians says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And Jesus, in those moments, as he faced his troubles, admitted his trust, yet not my will, but yours be done. So as we sing this song, let's remember Jesus. And when you're ready, you just go ahead and take those communion elements whenever you want to in the midst of the song. And then Jeremiah will dismiss us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come before you today. Help us to lament, to bring our troubles to you. And help us to continue to live within the messy tension between those troubles, yet ever trusting you because you faced the greatest of troubles so that we could have hope and life and forgiveness because of what you've done, Jesus. We can trust you in your name. Let's stand and sing.